What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thursday, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It's the Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete Callender of the Pete Callender Show. And uh, Matt Harris is the Matt of the Matt and Ramona Show on our sister station. But he is also, I guess you're always going to be a co-host. He is the co-host <laughs> of a yep. podcast, very successful, uh, called The Murdaw Family Murders, Impact of Influence. Welcome, Matt. How are you? Uh, Pete, I am so thrilled to be back with you again. So uh, I, I, I do want to give credit. Matt's podcast in, what, like uh, three days, already more popular than mine than I was doing for like a year and a half. Uh, but I'm not <laughs> I'm not at all bitter. But uh, so first thing I need to do is ask you, Matt, um, how do I pronounce this guy's name? Is it Alex Murdaw or is it Alec Murdoch? Okay, it's, it's Murdoch. With a CK sound. Hello, country. Um, Alec is what most are saying, although if you want to be real technical in the low country, uh, they say Elik, uh, Elik Murdoch, but most go by Alec Murdoch. Okay. Because I got it. I like, I was given Chris Cuomo from CNN a very hard time about his pronunciation of the name last night. I was watching you on Chris Cuomo's show talking about this case so the next question i have to ask before we get into the details of the case is um did they cut you off or did uh, did some technical difficulty happen at the end of the the segment there was some technical difficulty at the end of the segment uh called me flailing and hitting a key on the no <laughs> well <laughs> such an idiot but, well i will be back on nine o'clock on friday Okay, so 9 p.m. Friday, you're going to be back on CNN, which is a reason people to watch CNN just for this brief moment, 9 o'clock. Do you know exactly what time, 9 o'clock, or we just got to watch all of um, Chris Cuomo to find out? Um, they haven't confirmed it. Usually, I think 9.20. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a little bit more doable for me because I'm just, I yeah. just loathe Chris Cuomo. So, um, all right. All that being said, so this the, the Murdoch Family Murders, Impact of Influences, the name of the podcast. You're doing this with... Um, uh, your co-host is Seton Tucker, Seton Tucker, and uh, she, I guess, what reached out to you to help her do a podcast. Is that, is, do I have that yeah. right? That's, that's, that's pretty much the story. We are friends, or she was out with my wife, and my, she was telling this story about the Murdoch family back in June. And she's like, the story's so crazy, I should do a podcast. She says, you shouldn't. I know who wants to do true crime and who sort of kind of knows a little bit about broadcasting. It's my husband. Right. <laughs> and uh, we climbed into, uh, like, two days after, uh, just got a little studio and banged it out. And uh, thinking no one, except maybe a couple friends, or maybe a big wife listen. And uh, next thing you know, it is top 20 on Apple Podcasts and over 300,000 listens and, uh, and, and crazy. Right, Hollywood and you're still, and, right. And the podcast is still going on, right? You're not done with it, obviously, no, because no, 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 no. the developments yeah. just keep happening. We've yeah. got, like, today, um, yeah. there was a bond hearing this morning down in South Carolina, Hampton County, uh, where uh, a judge set bail for a man named Curtis Edward Smith, set it at $55,000, because this was the guy that Alec Murdoch, uh, apparently, according to him, right, that's what he told law enforcement, he had this guy, a former client of his, and, oh, by the way, his drug dealer, his supplier, tried to off him, try to assassinate him so his survi- his last surviving son could get a bunch of insurance money. This was the, uh, this was the scheme, and uh, the guy who, uh, he, he was just, uh, uh, he just had his bond set this morning. 
I got to tell you, like, frankly, I'm not so sure that that's actually what the plan was. I'm not so sure about that because he didn't kill Alec Murdoch. He ended up grazing him, which if you're if you're doing an assisted suicide kind of deal for the insurance money, I kind of think like like both parties are involved in that. Like, oh, darn, I missed. Let me do let me take the second shot, you know? Well, it's a pretty bad shot. Yeah, I wasn't a moving target. Right. Uh, I, I looked at the, and by the way, Alec has turned himself in, too. Uh, right. Just about within the hour, I guess. Okay. Um, he has turned himself in. But uh, the, I looked at the arrest warrant and uh, the original statement by uh, Curtis Edward Smith, they call him Eddie. And I, not a lot of people have said this, but when we, we read through it, he says that he was paid to, uh, he was helping Alec with a scheme to get $10 million, and he disposed of the gun, but nowhere does he say he shot the gun, mm. which I, which is a slight, you know, like a little slight difference, but it's a little difference, right? I mean, he says he, he got rid of the gun, and there was a scheme for insurance, but I don't see in there where he admits to shooting the gun. Yeah. Now, maybe it's yeah. nothing, or maybe it's intentional. Yeah. Maybe it's a leverage point that his lawyer's telling him, don't admit to this right. yet. Yeah, uh, hard to say. So this was, And so this all started, this is a pretty recent, well, as you mentioned on the show on CNN last night, and you, and you go over in the podcast over, you know, what are you up to now, like 15 episodes, you, there, are, there are so many different deaths connected to this family that it's mm-hmm. it could be very confusing. So, like, uh, uh, the first thing we should say is you've got the dad, Alec Murdoch, you've got right. his wife, who is now deceased, Maggie, and Correct. you've got two sons, Buster and Paul, right? And mm-hmm. yeah. Buster was the older son. He is now deceased as well. He no, and, Paul. Paul is, Paul is deceased. Oh, Paul is deceased. Right. I'm sorry, right. Paul is deceased because he was the one that was driving a boat that and and uh it, it had a boating accident under the influence of alcohol and a young teenage girl friend of his that was with him died in that boating accident and then he gets charged he is now dead his mom is dead in at the same time at some hunting property they have uh shot with different weapons and uh at their dog kennels and then the dad shows up finds the bodies call nine calls 911 Right. Now, he is now out of his office as the lawyer, right? They got rid of him as a lawyer. I'm trying to run right. through all this stuff, right? So just, so I have a good handle on this. And by the way, can I keep you for another segment? Is that possible? I know, no kidding. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, and so so that's sort of the backdrop. We find out now what? About a housekeeper, and then you go over in one of your early episodes about a hit and run that's connected to this right. family. Right, right. So there are a total of five bodies since... 2015 attached to the Murdoch family because when the uh, and, and we knew there was the connection, but it became more so after the death, the murders of Maggie and Paul, because something Sled found during that investigation caused them to reopen the hit and run of Stephen Smith from 2015, which was ruled a hit and run only by the pathologist uh, at uh, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte uh, Charleston uh, Medical Center, although law enforcement and the, and the coroner thought that didn't believe it was hit and run. So it was really controversial at the time. The Murdoch's mentioned 20, 30 times in the investigation, in all the, the, the paperwork and the investigation, 
but never once interviewed as far as we know. So they were that, that's the tie-in. Yeah. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. My guest is Matt Harris. He is the co-host of the Matt Ramona Show on our sister station, 1079. Is it the mix? I'm sorry. It used, I, I still know it as the old name, Matt. So is, uh, me too. Give me the branding. What is it? Yes, I have issues. What? Yeah, I have a problem with it, too. I have trouble getting it straight. <laughs> so I shouldn't ask you for your own stations? Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, I'll fail. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. It's All right, a, so... Uh, the new mix, 1079, there you the go. The new I'll mix, okay. Uh, so you're also co-hosting a podcast called The Murdoch Family Murders, Impact of yeah. Influence, Available on Spotify, uh, Apple uh, uh, Podcasts, I'm sure on all the major platforms as well. You have a co-host, Seton Tucker, and it's uh, it's an examination of uh, Alex Murdoch, and who has now turned himself into police on yeah. not not related to the murder of his wife and son at no. his property, and that occurred what in June? June, yes. So this is recent. Yeah. This is all happening right now, and happening yeah, right now. Right, and so your co-host, she was like got interested because of the boating accident from several right. years ago where one of the guys, one of the people who was killed at the property was the driver of the boat, teenage son of Alec Murdoch, and yeah. um, his name was Paul. Uh, so he's dead. The mom, Maggie, is dead. Alec Murdoch uh, turned himself in today because he apparently got his drug dealer former client to try to assassinate him. It failed yeah. they, to, in order to collect the insurance money. This is what they're telling police. He turns himself in today. In the midst of all of the investigation now, you've got other cases that have gotten reopened. One you mentioned uh, earlier was Stephen Smith. This was a hit and run, you said, from 2015. But right. also, their housekeeper, right? She She's also dead. This is a, the fifth body tied to this family. Yep, yep. You're, so what happened absolutely. with... All right, so what happened with her? What was her name? 2018, uh, Gloria Satterfield. She was 57. She had worked for the Murdochs for a long time. And she allegedly fell down the stairs. Now it's come out that they're saying she tripped over dogs and fell down the stairs uh, and died. And they had a lawsuit that was covered by the insurance company for $500,000, which Alec Murdoch hired his best friend and old college roommate to represent the Satterfield estate. So he gets, uh, you know, 180000 or whatever out of the 500000 um, and they go about their merry way until all the, even though we, we had this in the podcast, but it apparently came to the attention after all this stuff of the two sons of Gloria Satterfield who have not received a dime. Oh no. So they get an attorney and the attorney, uh, comes to find out that he digs and finds out. And I don't know why we, nobody else could find this too. Is the, the uh, death certificate had natural causes. Uh, and there was no autopsy, uh, nor was there any investigation. And the now it's coming out that they might have been paid out actually $2 million that uh, Alec's best friend slash attorney gave to Alec, but Alec never, you know, he bought drugs with it or, or who knows what. I'm mm-hmm. sure it wasn't anything good. You don't kind of take money and feed the homeless. So he, uh, so there's like two and a half million dollars missing, just right there. Because her family uh, didn't get any of that money as part of that settlement. Not a dime, and they didn't even. No one even knew until I guess yesterday. At least, well, I mean, some people knew, but the word was they settled for five hundred thousand dollars, which everybody thought was kind of 
low, right? I mean, they said, well, that's all we have. It's all the insurance. But still, it's five, you know, a 57-year-old woman, 500 grand. But now it might have been $2 million <laughs> that Alec never gave to the family. They've not seen one dime. They've hired an attorney, and he's uh, going after them. So, and it's not like Alec Murdoch uh, is above reproach when it comes to siphoning money, right? Yeah. I mean, like, that's why he's no longer at his law firm, his right. family law firm, right? Right, yeah. It's the, the law firm that was established in, like, 1905 or something. And his brother still works there. A little awkward at the family dinner. Uh, but the Friday before he was shot in the head, he was uh, confronted by his law firm, and they said there's millions of dollars missing. We've turned it over to forensic accounting, and we've turned it over to SLED, uh, and you're out of here, and there's like some sort of altercation, whatever. He goes, gets shot the next day, then he says he needs to go to rehab, and then it comes out that he claims that this, uh, this Eddie Smith was hired to shoot him in the head. Yeah. So by my count, that's like, I think SLED could just, do full-time investigating them. I believe there's, <laughs> I guess we're kind of there's like seven, I believe there's seven open, minimum seven open sled investigations that have popped open because or pertaining to the death that happened in June, but maybe should have been open before that. Yeah, you could, like the Murdoch Crimes Division or something. Yes, 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 right. You yeah, could, yeah, yeah, have, yeah. I mean, you could get like a spinoff of uh, Law & Order with like Ice-T right. or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. So this is, and so as I mentioned, like this is being, the story is, is developing. Like even today, you've got the, uh, the assassin, uh, he had a bond appearing, uh, bond appearance today. He mm-hmm. got a uh, $55,000 bond. And as you mentioned, uh, within like the last hour or so, Alec Murdoch, mm-hmm. uh, apparently left rehab and went to, uh, to turn himself in as part of this, uh, planned, uh, and failed insurance fraud attempted assassination, which, I'm going to put a marker down and just say, I don't think that was the actual plan. I think he was trying to make it look like someone is out to get him. So this way people would shift focus away from him as potentially culpable in something else. That's my marker. You don't have to come in if you don't want to. No, no. I mean, they have to remember that the original statement from, and he's got, you know, we have to just make sure everybody knows how, incredibly powerful uh, the this Murdoch family is. I mean, they, they were prosecutors for 85-some years. Uh, Alec, until a few weeks ago, volunteered at the prosecutor office, um, which means he basically could pick and choose which ones he wanted to be connected with, which means he might want to go to certain people. Mm-hmm. So they're powerful. In fact, uh, uh, Dick Harputlian, you may know that name. Yep. Yep, he was, the, he was, I believe, the South Carolina, head of the South Carolina Democratic Party for a while, right? Yep. Yep, so he said, this is big time. That's why I'm playing. So the, after he got shot, the, the Carpoolian and his other attorney, Griffin, they come out and say, uh, you know, this, this was done by somebody who shot him while he was uh, changing a tire in his Mercedes SUV and on this uh, rural road on his way to Charleston. And then they, then they, a few days later, say, what we meant to say was, he was standing outside the car looking at a fire, and uh, uh, good Samaritans found him in a bloody pool next to his SUV. They took him to a helicopter that flew him to Savannah, um, and it was a blue truck and blah, 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 blah. So they kind of, the story evolved a little bit in a few days. Kind of, It seemed like they were re- yeah. referencing all the public questions about this when they said, oh, this is what happened. 
And now they come with a new statement, but they say this is the first time they've talked to Alex since he's been sober, that he hasn't been on opioids. I got you. The new story is the new story. Matt Harris, thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll have you back on to give us updates. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right, man. That's Matt Harris. Uh, You can catch his podcast on Spotify, The Murdoch Family Murders, Impact of Influence. All right. Thanks again to Matt Harris, co-host of The Matt Ramona Show on our sister station, 107.9 The Mix, or... The Mix 107.9. The new mix. What is it? I'm sorry. I should have written it down. When he told me, I should have written it down. It's 107, but it's 107.9. I said 107.9, the link. I said that for like 20 years. I'm totally my fault. I apologize. But uh, Matt Ramona, they do the mornings over there. Uh, But he's also doing this podcast. You can catch it on all of your podcasting platforms. And I got to tell you, like, just not for nothing. Like, I I knew it was successful. I knew his podcast was successful. Because it's true crime. And true crime is always, like, super, super popular. But, like, I knew it was very successful, but when he gave me that last thing, it's like 100,000 now. Like, okay, that's, like, now I am kind of jealous. I wasn't when it was, like, tens of thousands, but now, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I wish him all the best. He's going to be on again with uh, Chris Cuomo, if you can, you know, suffer through Chris Cuomo. Uh, but uh, Matt was on with him last night, and... um He's going to be on with them again on Friday, I believe. Unless, of course, Matt messes up and hits the buttons again or something. And, uh, the yeah, it was kind of a train wreck at the end. <laughs> we DVR'd it, and uh, I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. Because I'm pretty sure the connection was still on while they were interviewing one of the other ju- uh, lawyers. And so you, I think you could hear Matt. <laughs> I'm not sure, though. I'm not sure. Uh, all righty. So, uh by the way, uh, for programming purposes here, let me let you know what's coming up at two thirty. You're gonna want to. You're gonna want to listen to this. I don't know how it's gonna go. It's live radio, working without a net. We'll see. But at two thirty, I was offered as a guest Sandra Neal, the president of the American Pharmacists Association, and uh, she was offered up. Let me see here. According to the the PR pitch that I said yes to, um, she's available to discuss the following topics, science-based facts about the COVID-19 vaccines and their efficacy against the virus and its variants. And then how the Delta variant has changed the course of the pandemic, latest guidance on booster shots, and why mask wearing, social distancing, and hand washing remain top methods of prevention. So I've got some questions. I wrote them down. And uh, so we'll see how that goes. That's going to be at 2.30. At 1.30, so in a mere hour, we're going to talk with Troy Shelton. He's an associate attorney at Fox Rothschild. And we're going to talk about uh, a story that we're going to start on. There's a couple of uh, related stories here. The North Carolina State Supreme Court. And there is an effort right now underway by the Democrats on the state Supreme Court and Democrat activists to force out Republican justices so they can't uh, decide the case. They can't be part of the case. Remember, Democrats already have a majority on the state Supreme Court. So why are they trying to knock off two Republican justices? If they've got enough Democrats to rule however the Democrats that are suing 
the state, you know, want, then why do you need to get these judges off the case? But that's what's happening. So we'll talk with him uh, about this case uh, at one thirty. One thirty. But let me start with a different story here. And it is it's related, and we're gonna it'll come back up later when we talk uh, when we talk with Troy Shelton, which is uh, the North Carolina court ruling on the felons being able to vote. Right there was this one judge in, uh, or sorry, two judges in a superior court in like Wake County, and they said felons could vote even if they hadn't finished serving their their sentence, right? They could vote if they were on parole, if they were on probation, they were still allowed to vote. And they basically just made up a law in in complete contradiction to the North Carolina state constitution. They just made it up, these uh, Democratic uh, lawyers wearing robes. And um, the attorney general, Josh Stein, also a Democrat, who will figure in another related story, uh, with Josh uh, Shelton, the attorney we're bringing on in another hour, um, Josh Stein, our attorney general of the state, he refused to uh, give notice of appeal. He would not do that. When this ruling came down from these judges, he did not uh, say, hey, we're going to appeal this. And the state, his his uh, clients, the state journal assembly leaders, Republicans, they said, we intend to appeal. And he was like, well... We don't have the actual order written down quite yet, so I don't know what I can do. I'm just one man. They're like, okay, you're freaking fired, and we're going to go hire somebody else. And they did, and that person immediately got an appeal, and the, the appeal led to an immediate halt in the law being changed by that judge's the two judges' orders. So what now has occurred is, well, any felon that, registered to vote in this brief window of time but before the stay was issued or the injunction was issued, right? They get to still vote. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Mitch Kokai at the Carolina Journal writing uh, that felons who registered to vote in North Carolina during an 11-day window between recent court rulings will be allowed to vote in upcoming elections. The state Supreme Court ruled on Friday in favor of those quick-acting prospective voters. They really wanted to vote. These felons, they were like really, really politically engaged. You know, they got out of prison. They're on uh, on, uh, parole or maybe they're on probation, still serving their sentence. The Constitution says that you can't uh, like the sentence has to be uh, completed uh, before the voting rights restored, which, by the way, is automatic now in North Carolina. Thank you, Republicans. It's automatic. You just get them restored. Felons who did not register to vote between August 23rd and September 3rd, well, you're going to have to wait until the resolution of this court case that focuses on the voting rights. A three-judge superior court panel ruled two to one back in August, August 23rd, that all felons who have completed their active prison time should have their voting rights restored, right? So, If you did your time in prison, once you get out of the facility, doesn't matter if you still have a sentence to serve outside of the facility. All they cared about was, well, you're out, so therefore you should have your voting rights restored. That's not the law. 
But, you know, they're lawyers and you can't spell lawyer without law. So they just, I guess, made it up. They felt like they uh, they could do that. Uh, the state, as uh, named in the, the lawsuit, it's the, the Speaker of the House. It's the uh, the General Assembly. It's also it, So the General Assembly, you know, your two chambers, you got Speaker of the House and your Senate President Pro Tem, they're named. But also uh, the Attorney General represents the state. And the Attorney General, Democrat Josh Stein, he said, well, I can't. I, I can't file a notice to appeal because they haven't, you know, submitted a, a, a ruling. The judges didn't offer a written opinion yet. And so, gosh, golly, darn, gee, I just can't do anything. And so the General Assembly said, you're fired. They got another attorney who immediately filed a notice to appeal, and they were successful. Isn't that amazing? Now, the state's highest court, and that's how we ended up with the September 3rd freeze, so any felon who rushed out to, to register to vote during those 11 days, the state Supreme Court has determined that the stay on the lower court's ruling, that it will be implemented prospectively only, meaning any person who registered to vote at a time when it was legal for that person to register to vo- uh, register under the then valid court orders, as they were interpreted at the time, they can remain legally registered voters. Yay! Do you think do you think that the activists who are shepherding this lawsuit through the court system do you think that that they got all the people they needed to register to vote? Do you think that happened? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like they immediately rushed out and got those felons that they needed to vote. And what do I mean by they needed? They're going to need people to sue again. Right? So if they don't win at the state supreme court level and they're pulling out all the stops, to try to make that happen. If they don't win, they're going to have some people that can act as new plaintiffs for new litigation. The August 23rd ruling had expanded voting rights to all felons outside the prison system, including those on parole and probation. Supporters said that the ruling could add 56,000 people to the state's voting rolls. Critics have said that the ruling amounts to judges rewriting state law, because that's actually what it did. Felon disenfranchisement is not by law. It's by the state constitution. That's according to Andy Jackson, the director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity at the John Locke Foundation. He said, quote, it seems like they're actually going to be trying to rewrite the law themselves, which is something judges are not supposed to do. Well, I think I think Andy is overlooking a very important piece of information here in his assessment, which is um, shut up. Just no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. The the information that he's overlooking is that these are Democrat judges and they get to do this. Andy, Democrat judges get to rewrite law because progress forward. It's for the people. The case has prompted state lawmakers, by the way, just the reason why I point these things out and why I hold uh, these judges that that engage in this kind of activism, why I hold them in such disdain and contempt is because if we don't all agree on the the set of rules, then there's no point in having any rules. And I mean any rules. This this is what we talk about when we say, like, you know, are we a nation of law or a nation, you know, run by men? Like a you know, rule of law or rule of rule by man. This is why this is so critical, because uh if we don't all follow the same rules, then you can't expect us all to follow any of them. 
And I know you guys like to, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you flip the game board over whenever you lose based on the rules rather than just, you know, doing better. That's a piece of gamer advice for you. Gamers just, you know, when people get when people start complaining that they're getting, you know, murdered in a video game online, you know what the response usually is? Be better. <laughs> That's it. Be better. There's there's no other there's no other reason. Like and this is like this is what you should be doing too. Be better. But no, uh, because if you can get into power, then you can flip the board over. You can rewrite the rules uh, however you see fit. The case has prompted state lawmakers to criticize the attorney general because he refused to uh, appeal. The private lawyers secured the stay from the court of appeals. It is unclear how the dispute with Josh Stein affected the time gap between the original court order and the appeals court stay. But I would say that it is likelier than not that the delay resulted in this decision from the Supreme Court, from the uh, the state Supreme Court, right? The delay, that 11-day gap where the, all the felons ran out and registered to vote, or at least the ones that the Democrats wanted them to, right? That that 11 days helped them. And that delay resulted in this decision, obviously so, allowing them to stay on the voter rolls. So that's one point, uh, one part of it. The other part of it now is the reaction that the lawmakers have had to the attorney general to try to limit his ability to cut them out of deals, cut them out of legal settlements. We'll get into that up next after the news on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT.